Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. I'm going to be covering my usual today, but I felt like I wanted to get this out of the way. There was an article that was released from an opinion writer, and he's on xdadevelopers.com. If you never heard of it, it's a site that used to, I signed up ages ago, and it used to be one of the top places to go for people who wanted to unlock their device because there used to be a time when there was a lot of like you get bloatware on your device, but it's nowhere near what it used to be. It used to be pretty darn bad. And so now we've come forward and you can mostly either disable it or you can get it, you know, to where it's not bothering you. But storage is still consumed. So there are still people that are out there and they're actively trying to get rid of any bloatware on the device or just install custom applications and all this kind of stuff. And so that's with what's happening with XDA developers, I'm trying to be politically correct. They've clearly gone to the liberal side and I'm, I'm not attacking the site, but I am saying that welcoming articles like this to me doesn't put a good message at all uh, about what their motivations might be. And perhaps they're just open to anybody and everybody, but it doesn't look like it, it looks like that they are very picky and choosy about who they're allowing to leave messages on the site or opinions on the site however it is or whatever it is, but I wanted to kind of cover one of the articles from one of these, one of these jokers and his name I'll give you at the tail end of this, because I don't think it's immediately relevant, at least not right now until you kind of hear some of the message. And then I'm happy to add him because, you know, I want to smoke. He wants to bring it. He can, but he's basically it's a rant and he's not, he's tired of hearing about cryptocurrency. He's tired of hearing about NFTs. He's tired of hearing about web 3.0. Now, anybody can feel tired about excessive amounts of marketing messaging or excessive amounts of things. I want to just preface by saying the reason he's getting a lot of this stuff thrown at him is because he's been involved with it at some level. You're not going to hear anything because he's talking about his email. You're not going to get excessive emails about certain topics unless at some level you were involved in it, whether that was researching it or whether that was buying it, whether that was trading it whether that was writing about it, somehow you were involved in it. Because if you understand the way that those messages are targeted, and that's the key word, they're targeted based on your activity of your computer, your phone. So at some level, you were involved in it. I promise you, your grandma up in Montana is not getting messages, excessive messages about cryptocurrency because your grandma up in Montana has not been researching it, hasn't been looking at it, probably doesn't know what it is. So you were invested in it at some point, you were looking at it, and if you understood how to put the right tools in place to control your experience, you wouldn't be getting that messaging. I digress. But he starts out talking about, and, and let me just give the broad spectrum of his message. His biggest issue is not the technologies. His biggest issue is sustainability. He's a liberal. It's obvious by his writing he's a liberal, so he can't come back and say, no, I'm not. Do, do, do. Yes, it's obvious from your writing. Your headlines scream liberalism. That's fine. It's what you are. Admit what you are. Number one headline, Bitcoin alone uses more electricity each year than the entire nation of Argentina. This is a factual statement. However, I would argue that it's irrelevant because... If I look at a tool like Twitch, which, oh, by the way, this person actually has covered Twitch excitedly so, you think about all the people who are streaming up to Twitch and their consumption. You think about all the servers it takes to make Twitch work and all those data centers and their consumption. 
You think about the vast array of people who are watching on Twitch on a constant basis and their consumption, and you collectively add all that up. It certainly is probably not going to come close to Bitcoin, but the point is it is a significant share of consumption, yet you were happily right there covering Twitch with a smile on your face, likely excited about gaming because it's something that you cared about. When we're talking about things that you cared about, that's when you're putting coverage out there that is positive. When it's something that you don't like, then it's something negative, even though they both do the same thing. Let's be honest here. The internet alone has an appreciable impact. If you want to say a climate change impact, that's fine. But it has an appreciable impact on things like electricity, an appreciable impact on things like you know, atmospheric gas uh, because of data centers and the way that things work. That's just the way that things work. However, these things exist because of what's called demand. It's clear that this writer never went to any sort of college because if he had, he would understand that as demand grows, you will necessarily have an increase in consumption because you have to do this to meet the demand properly. When the demand keeps going up, which I would argue, in fairness, it is being pushed by certain big players, you know, your Motorola's, even Google's, Apple's of the world, they're pushing that. Then when they put out a message saying, oh, we're going green, deep, 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 and we got, you know, solar panels, all this, it's to deflect. It's the Chewbacca defense. At the end of the day, they're running the same data centers that any other business is running, and those data centers do a lot more harm. And if you don't know what a data center essentially is, think of a bunch of machines sitting, connecting to electricity, consuming a bunch of electricity, and performing work. They are having just as much of an appreciable impact, maybe not to the same scale, but appreciably it's the same impact as what a Bitcoin would have. But the point is he's not going to cover that. He's not going to criticize every data center out there. He's not going to criticize Apple for their data centers that really are not green. They could say they are, but they're not. He's not going to criticize companies like Tesla whose batteries for their cars, when they're manufactured, that's not green. He's not going to cover companies like, you know, Apple and the way that they manufacture their devices is the way that it's done. I'm not talking about the technology. I'm talking about the way that it's done is not a green process. It's not. Their stores are not really green. Yes, they're using LED lighting. That's cool. Yes, they're using glass. That's cool. But they're not really green stores because they constantly keep devices plugged into the grid, and you cannot have one store in a mall putting your own solar panels up on the roof. So let's just be honest here. Regardless, so he then talks about and, and this is something that most people that do debates, they'll do it as transparent. It's annoying. They'll make a statement that is a factual statement as a preface to other statements that are emotionally charged. So he talks about blockchain and he talks about proof of work and he talks about, you know, yes, we understand proof of work and this is how it works. And it's a computation. This is, it takes to calculate that all, it's all accurate data. It's all good data. He then puts one statement out there, one sentence essentially, about proof of stake, which proof of stake is more efficient. It is not nearly as damaging as Bitcoin, which is proof of work. But there's just one statement talking about proof of stake. Then he talks about Ethereum. He basically bashes Ethereum. He's factual in his bash, but it's a bash and it's unfair. Then he talks about NFTs. Then he talks about Web 3.0. Now, I want to just call out why his first segment is faulty, though he's, he's facts, he's throwing facts, but he's misusing the facts. His argument is not against cryptocurrency, so that's number one. And I want to tell you why. 
the cryptocurrency, you cannot just use that at a macro level and criticize crypto in general. You need to dumb it down. Okay. If you have, he has a problem with proof of work tokens and coins in cryptocurrency. He has a problem with the consumption of those resources that it takes for proof of work. It is, he cannot have an issue with proof of stake because of his biggest beef, as I'll get to later, is the electricity used in the nation of Argentina and the inefficiency of it. That only applies on proof of work. It doesn't apply on proof of stake. Then he says that, quote, smaller cryptos and blockchains are using it right now. I don't know that he's paying attention, but Solana is not a small crypto. It's not. Neither is Algorand. So neither is Doge. So I don't know... you cannot just use the term cryptocurrency in your criticism and just call it a day and then go into copious detail with factual data that completely re- rebuts what you're saying. You don't have a problem with cryptocurrency. You have a problem with proof of work. That's why, writer, that they're trying to move away from proof of work. However, proof of work takes a lot in order to, Ethereum is an example. It takes a lot to move something that is established. I don't care what it is into a new framework, which would be proof of stake, which would negate your argument about the electricity consumption alone. So I think he needs to separate the two. It's not a problem with his facts, which I think he got overly emotional in some of the comments that were beating him up. It's like, you got to separate the two. They are not the same paradigm. You have a problem with proof of work. Everybody has a problem with proof of work. You're not unique in that regard. When he gets into NFTs, the only complaint he has that's, a, and it's a fact, but his complaint's petty. His concern with NFT is NFT is basically a receipt. You don't own anything. I share this concern. I've said in the past that I think NFTs essentially are a scam as they're currently implemented as you're charging for something you don't really own because you don't really own it. You don't own a digital something. So if somebody creates an image of X, whatever X is, you don't own that image because it already exists digitally on the internet. And you could download it, right? Here's where he makes a pro- here's where he makes a mistake, and this is lack of knowledge. He doesn't understand how this works. He says that blockchains don't store the item. It depends on how it's minted, and he probably hasn't gone through the process like I have. That's why he doesn't understand what he's talking about. That's why he shouldn't be covering this. But when you mint an NFT, you have the choice to store the digital item directly in the blockchain and. I won't get into the details of what that is, but how that all works. But you can tell the when you mint it that it's going to be stored on blockchain, directly in blockchain, so it's nothing but code and cannot be replicated anywhere else other than through the blockchain. You have the choice of doing that when you mint it. Most don't. Most link to an external source because it's easier to do that because it already exists. You already have it uploaded somewhere to a server and you don't have to re-upload it or relink it or anything. But I prefer to mint it where it's inside the blockchain because to me that creates the true scarcity of the item. It doesn't negate that somebody could simply download the image, right? If it's a static image, like I saw some artwork that's out there, you could just save the image if that's all you cared about. What he's missing though is when he says that it's a cashier's receipt rather than ownership, he is, he is factually correct. But he's missing out on what I keep hammering people to understand, which is Supply and demand, the way that it works is people will pay for whatever they want to pay. If they want to pay for a thing, they will pay for a thing, and it doesn't matter what you or I say about it. If something's going to succeed, it'll succeed. That's what NFTs is. That's what it is. It is something that was created that looked like a good idea, 
and the framework underneath it, I've been involved long before NFTs became a thing. So I understood the power of what it could be. Like I saw that this thing could host websites. It's, it's very robust. It's called IPFS if you want to look into it. But the, the thing is this NFT comes up and people are willing to pay for this stuff. Great. Let them. It's their money. We can criticize that, okay, you don't really own a thing. I share the criticism, but I think him talking about facts and data where he's missing, he's got gaps in his argument, he's missing points. It's not that you, you know, aren't stored on the blockchain. It depends on how it's minted. You need to do research. Regardless, why does any of that matter? Why does that affect you? Why does it make you tired of hearing about it when it doesn't affect you because you're not buying into it? Like you need to make a choice with your own wallet and say, this isn't for me. I don't buy into it and I won't. Now, in full disclaimer, I have at least 13 different NFTs, but guess what? I haven't paid a dollar for any of them. They were given to me. So great. I don't, you know, again, I'm not going to spend money on it unless I saw that there's an opportunity to sell it and make some profit. Cause to me, that's the opportunity, the supply and demand opportunity. If I see that I can buy it on the cheap and I can basically flip it, I would absolutely do it. And so would you, let's be honest. I don't think it's a valid complaint. Then he's talking about Web 3.0, and he's he's only scratching the surface of this one. But he's he calls out blockchain function as a DNS service. That's only a scratching the surface. It really is. If you want to research IPFS, there's a lot to it. Fundamentally, IPS, IPFS allows you to store virtually anything, virtually anything, into a central storage service that then is distributed. If you know anything about what used to be not BitTorrent today, but used to be its predecessor. So we're talking in the old days of BearShare and other peer-to-peer -peer type networks. IPFS is essentially a legal equivalent to what those were doing, which was there were parts and pieces of every file stored across multiple nodes. And then you call up a request, you do a search, and you see that there's this document or there's this movie, there's this audio that comes back, but you could do it with a website. There's no reason you couldn't. There's a re you could theoretically do it with file databases. There's, there's infinite potential to it, but it minimizes the resources necessary to make things work. Right now, the internet is dependent on your tier threes to essentially function. But within this, then you got all the servers, you got all the data centers, there's all these layers of inefficiency that make things work. If you want to host a website, there has to be a server somewhere that stores a bunch of files and you gotta have databases and there's all this excess necessary to make something work. Whereas what Web3 could be at some point is, well, we can just use the nodes that are already there, put parts and pieces out there as nodes and kind of spread the wealth around. And what that has the benefit of doing is that now you don't need a service necessarily like a Cloudflare to make sure that things are running. You know they're running because the nodes are up you don't necessarily need to have load balancing, which is a different technology, because it's necessarily load balanced by the replication across nodes. So there's, there's more potential than what he's calling out. His concern isn't even clear. What's the problem? How does it affect you other than you, have, you don't see it working yet? Well, of course not. It's still development. That's why it's called a growing concept. It's not there yet, but it's developing and it's growing, and we have to also start thinking about the impacts, we have to think about how we secure it. And for the most part, IPFS is reasonably secure, but it's not peak secure. So they gotta think about what that means. We also have to think about scale. 
how does it scale as the internet itself starts to consume more of these? So you're, you're cart before the horse. That means your concerns might be moot. That means, means you might look stupid if it turns out that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it also doesn't debunk anything if it turns out to fail because we've lost nothing for at least trying. So trying new technologies hurts nothing. So you shouldn't debunk new technologies that are out there that are trying to solve the very concerns that you have, which is sustainability. The Web 3.0 as concept solves a lot of the sustainability concerns that he's raising. So why are you beefing about it right now? Then he calls back to Silk Road. Silk Road hasn't been a thing for years. So it's an irrelevant point. Is it a valid point? Sure. Bitcoin in its initial phases was traded through the Silk Road, which was on the dark web, which is under Tor. So that's all fact, but it's irrelevant at this point because you can literally buy Bitcoin at your local Circle K. So we have to start reconciling that Bitcoin has become an acceptable currency to the point that the United States government was considering investing in it. So let's stop with these irrelevant facts. They're facts, but they're irrelevant because we know what you're doing at smoke. He calls out malware that drains CPU and battery life. Now, the key word in this is malware. He's referring to mining software. Is all mining software malware? No. Is there some malware that happens to be embedded in mining software? Absolutely. But it's, that's a risk that you take as somebody who's doing it. And I know this because I've been doing it for a while. That's a risk you take. <laughs> if we want to say that mining equipment in general is malware and just drains CPU and battery life and that's all it does and that's all it's good for, then we might as well shut down SETI at home and folding at home because that's exactly what they're doing. And guess what? Your SETI at home and your folding at home are partially responsible for us being able to fast track vaccines and things and be able to solve incurable diseases. So when we, again, this is the, if you see the pattern of saying he's making these factual statements, he's just throwing them out there and they're either irrelevant or they're debunked by his very concern, which is sustainability. And he doesn't understand because he didn't do enough research that guess what? These are technologies that have been around. They've already been here for at least a decade in different forms. And we just simply improved it over time and we're continually improving it. But they're technologies that power the very things that keep us, <laughs> keep us healthy, keep us alive. So you can't criticize A without criticizing B. Now, if we want to say shut down folding at home, shut down SETI at home, shut down all these other services that help us solve incurable diseases, then that makes you a hypocrite because it's clear that you want those things. Guess what? You have to have things that you don't like in terms of sustainability because you're not going to be able to run all the equipment we're talking about on a solar panel in your backyard. So you, ha you can't live without one and benefit from the other. That's not going to work. He wants the best of both. You're not going to get the best of both. And that's where you come across as a hypocrite because you're attacking cryptocurrency without really understanding that the function of what we have in proof of work is simply a derivation of what we already had with folding at home and SETI at home and other similar types of helpful, beneficial processes. The code might as well be the same because they're doing the same thing, which is performing calculations on behalf of a process. So then he criticized Epic Games. And if you didn't know Epic Games, of course, they're a game developer, right? Um, but they announced that they were open to selling um, cryptocurrency-based games or blockchain-based games. He calls out a kind of a hypocrisy from the CEO where the CEO made a statement that could be construed as hypocrisy. However, again, just because a CEO says A doesn't mean the company believes 
it. And we saw that with Twitter. If you weren't paying attention, Mr. Writer, we saw that with Twitter. We saw that with Grubhub. So you have to separate the two. The CEO is still a human being. He has his own opinions. He can have his own opinions. It doesn't mean that that's the course of the company because guess what? If the shareholders say we need to do this, then you're going to do it regardless of what the individual CEO thinks. Twitter's jumped on board with blockchain and Web3. The reason Twitter jumped on board is because Jack Dorsey, who, free, who previously was the CEO, who was stepping down, Jack Dorsey has already been involved in crypto to a heavy degree, and he was advocating that there be more involvement in doing it. But guess what? Twitter's been accepting cryptocurrency for tips for, I think it's at least a year now. So they've already been involved in it. Nothing's new. Nothing's changed. Square Enix, again, same thing. They're investigating doing it. The reason that all these game developers are considering doing it is because play to earn is going to become the next big thing. We already have a concept of play to win or pay to win in the mobile space. These game developers see it really no different, that we have another technology and another way to generate revenue, so let's go ahead and go with it. That's called free enterprise. They are allowed to do that. It's up to the gamers and the customers to decide with their wallet whether they're going to go with it or not. And then Disney talking about NFTs for characters for the films, that should be considered brilliant because if you think about the target for NFTs, the real target for NFTs, it's going to be your younger folks. Your younger folks are more enticed by these digital assets than the older ones are. It's not saying the older ones don't buy in, but your younger ones are more enticed. Disney has to reinvent itself. Why is that any different than the shift from physical books over to Kindle books? It's not. Again, he's not thinking for us for the trees. He's not thinking through it. All he's reacting to is something that is a valid concern. It's just he's misrepresenting it, which is that everybody's jumping on board simply because somebody did. So let's all get on it, of course. But why is crypto being singled out? That's my concern with him. Why is crypto being singled out? Why is NFT being singled out? Why is Web3.0 being singled out? Because that's how all business works. We can go, I've, I've, on my other podcast, I've talked about the whole multi-factor authentication and everybody jumped on board with SMS authentication simply because a few jumped on, everybody started doing it. Then the government said, this is not secure and many have not shifted off of it. Then it shifted over to fingerprint sensor logins and everybody's trying to force that. Then it shifted over to social media logins and then everybody jumped on board with that. This me tooism bandwagonism. That's common. It happens in technology all the time. I'm not debunking the fact that that happens. I'm criticizing him for calling out crypto only. That's my only concern with what he's saying. Because you're attacking one technology without understanding that this is par for the course. It's not unique to crypto. It's not unique to NFTs or Web3.0. And so for you to attack them simply because they're doing what everything else has been doing is unfair. And I'll call that out. So then he talks about being tired of, you know, getting emails and he gives a headline that says honoring the deaths of almost 3000 people at digital certificates. And this is in response to a message he got where it was on 9-11 and he was talking about an NFT game fundraiser to honor the, honor the people that died on 9-11. Okay. He completely misrepresents this one. I mean, I, I don't even understand how he got this wrong. I, I don't understand how he got this wrong. The message is not to honor the people who died on 9-11 with NFTs. The message is to use NFT and the concept of supply and demand that I just talked about in order to raise funds to support heroes on, that, that died on 9-11, 
but you're using NFT as a fundraiser conduit. Why is that any different than the old telethons that we used to have? Why is it any different than Kickstarter? Why is it any different than Indiegogo? Why is it any different than any other fundraising conduit? It's just a different conduit for raising funds that they know at least it's doing something that somebody can feel some value in if it's of value to them. If you're doing great artwork that you say, okay, I'm worth, I would want to own this and I would want to spend my money on that because I like the art or I support simply what it is. How is that any different from coins where you're buying into some sort of a coin collection something and the proceeds go to benefit, you know, war orphans or something? The, it's the same thing. Nothing has changed, but he's so triggered over just, you're, 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 you're honoring the death of this. No, that's not what they're doing. It's a fundraiser like any other fundraiser. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the conduit of fundraising is. Then he's talking about retweets and articles about NFT selling for millions, which is misleading. First of all, it's not misleading and it's not false. They've provably been sold for millions of dollars. He called out one artwork sold for equivalent of $500,000 in October and then transferred back to the original Ether wallet for the same amount. So it basically it was like a, a phony thing. Now, did are there instances where that's happening? Absolutely. It's factually accurate. So what he's describing is that people are making fake transactions in order to drive up demand. Of course, that happens all the time. It happens outside of crypto. It happens outside of NFTs. It happens all the time. We, we see that all the time. The, you know, homes, right? It's like, okay, you buy a house and it's like $200,000 and then you sell the house to, a, a, you know, somebody else and you drive it to $300,000 and the two of you guys are in collusion about it or whatever. That's a common, unfortunately, common factor when you're trying to drive up price because you're giving the illusion of price demand. That doesn't make it misleading because it truly was a transaction. Your problem is that it's happening. Well, it happens all over the place. Again, my concern is just him singling out cryptocurrency. That's just nuts. His closing statement then just has nothing to do with the preface, which is that he's been, quote, bombarded about technology that's, quote, not practical at best, quote, actively harmful for the planet at worst. And again, I stress it again. Proof of work is harmful and everybody agrees with it, which is why people are moving away from it and you don't have an issue with proof of stake because it doesn't have the traits that you called out. Number one, lack of self-awareness. He's talking about, and then he makes this this comparison about the, so Disney made an NFT about a character, uh, Wally from Pixar. And then if you don't know the movie Wally, like I don't, but the movie is, you know, it takes place after humanity has destroyed Earth's environment. So he's saying, oh, that's kind of ironic. Because right, NFTs are destroying the environment. Do, do, do. No, well, look, dude. <laughs> Again, data centers have an impact on the environment. Electricity use has an impact on the environment. Car use has an impact on the environment. Building has an impact on the environment. Deforestation has an impact on the environment. A failure to clean up our oceans has an impact on the environment. There are countless things that have an impact on our environment. But to sit here and say that we should simply not do something that people clearly have a demand for, regardless of whether you agree with it or not, just because it, it's one of the thousands of factors that has an impact on our environment, I'm, I, I don't, it comes across as a rant. And then his final statements about not being able to buy a graphics card. Of course, you could, let's be clear here, to say that you cannot is a lie. You could, you just can't buy it separately. You would just go and buy a new computer. 
Is that practical? If you think about it, probably because when the price of graphics cards and the way it is right now, most graphics cards are 7000 to upwards of 3000 or more. So you could buy a new tower that comes with a pretty decent graphics card for $1,200. Boom. Take the graphics card, put it in your computer, and you're done. And then keep that other machine off to the side and maybe do some mining with it. And then he closes out about Gmail filters and rants about getting emails. This, this writer, and I'll call him out, his name is Corbin Davenport. I'm going to add him because I want him to listen to this. It's clear he's a liberal. He can deny he's a liberal all he cares to. It's clear he's a liberal. It's Ironically, he says he's a software developer. Now listen to me. If you're a software developer, you are working with hardware and software that is damaging to the environment, so you're a hypocrite. I will straight say that to you. Because you can't develop software. You have to realize, when you're working with your IDE, that IDE was created with software and hardware that is damaging to the environment. The computers that you use is damaging to the environment. The electricity that you must use is damaging to the environment. The monitors that you use to manufacture them was damaging to the environment. You being on here writing this article had a somewhat impact on the environment. You are a hypocrite for writing this article because you are doing things as a trade that are damaging to the environment and you don't realize that. And that's the problem I've got with your writing. It's not your facts. Your facts are accurate, just that many of them are irrelevant. Some of them are misplaced. Often they're misused. And then you close out with petty arguments about not being able to buy a graphics card. If you had just started by saying, you know what, I'm frustrated that I can't buy a graphics card because of the demand for mining and cryptocurrency has created that demand and I'm really upset that I can't buy a graphics card even now, that, that would have been a better argument and a better article. The reason you didn't do that is because then your argument would have been misplaced because it's not towards cryptocurrency, it's towards NVIDIA and others who can't keep up with demand. And they can't keep up with demand because of the whole chip shortage, which is a byproduct of the pandemic. And oh, by the way, the pandemic has had a lot more impact on us as a society than anything with climate change. This is arguably true. So I'm not defuting your facts. I'm not telling you you don't have the right to write an article. You can write the article all you care to. I just want to go down methodically and say what you're attacking is petty. It's clear you're liberal and you have a right to be liberal, but your arguments are attacking the wrong thing. Your problem was with proof of work. That's why there's a push to get away from proof of work. I don't think Bitcoin will ever get away from proof of work. However, Bitcoin's also not going anywhere. So we can have all the criticism we care to about Bitcoin alone, but you should have that conversation about Bitcoin alone, not the larger crypto space. If you want to talk about Ethereum, that's fine, but it's not fair to call out Ethereum and then you basically ignore, you ignore, you talk about no progress on moving Bitcoin in that direction, but you ignore that ETH20 is in the process and is working and is in testing. You're not being fair with the facts that you put out. And so when you say these things, your, your lean is extreme left instead of what it should be, which is somewhat left, but more centrist by putting both sides of the argument. Yes, I don't like that this is happening with Ethereum. And I don't like that I ha see this with Bitcoin, but Ethereum at least is making steps to move to proof of stake. And your, I would say half your argument should be talking about the benefits of proof of stake. It should be talking about how NFTs can be minted on Polygon and Phantom, which are level two networks that are proof of stake that don't have the impacts that you're concerned about. 
In other words, you should be praising the technologies in crypto that support what you like instead of simply bashing all of them with lack of knowledge about how they all work because you don't understand how entities are minted. That's obvious. And you're only attacking proof of work without calling it out as this is really my problem. It's proof of work. My second problem is simply excessive marketing, which is a byproduct of the fact that I've been navigating around researching this stuff. And as a result, cookies are following me around, which then gets sold and then they email me. So maybe I should stop doing that because I've said that I'm not interested in it, but yet you still navigate it. And so you're still getting the emails. Maybe we should do that. And then finally, if your real big problem is about the graphics card, maybe you should be squawking at NVIDIA. Maybe you should be squawking at AMD because they're not keeping up with demand. And guess what? That's a byproduct of them offshoring, which is a whole different paradigm. I've talked enough about Mr. Davenport. I don't agree with his argument, and I don't agree with his messaging. Let me go ahead and talk about something more positive, which is a token. I want to talk about a token because I like talking about crypto. I like Mr. Davenport. I like talking about tokens. I think that they're, I think it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere, and it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks about it. I do believe that we're, we're on a cusp of something huge. Um, with what we're doing with the various tokens. So let me pull up my different screen, and then we're going to go into um, the token that I saw the other day that I wanted to express my cautious interest. I guess I should state it that way. And this token is called Inuyasha. Inuyasha is a token on the Ethereum blockchain, and unfortunately for Mr. Davenport, that means that there's going to be an appreciable impact on the environment because it's Ethereum, but... Inuyasha uh, launched last month, I believe it was early last month, or possibly late October, looks like late October, has gone on a pretty steady upward trend. And when I looked at Inuyasha, again, I've not, I've not heavily invested in the Ethereum side tokens on purpose because I don't, I don't support the gas, I don't support the psychology of it. If it's on an exchange, I'll look at it, but Inuyasha is not on an exchange it's on a DEX, but it's not on an exchange, an actual central exchange as of this point. So it has not been one that I have actively chosen to invest in. Um, but with its launch, it may be a relaunch based on some of the numbers I'm seeing. Um, it's got what appears to be 100 billion tokens total supply. And then of that, there's 90 billion that's in circulation. And the market caps, the fully diluted market caps, just under 20 million, and then the market caps just under 17 million, which means that it's still got some growth potential to it. And this one's got, got some interest to it. It started a little bit rough, but then it started to kind of get some traction and go, go forward. And again, I'm not really into the anime tokens nearly as much as I used to be. So, but I'm not going to criticize them for that. What I wanted to at least talk about with this one is how their tokenomics work in contrast to what I said before, um, with another token where I was not happy with theirs and I'm not even gonna mention their name. So there's hundred billion in total supply. There's a 10% tax. And then the way that they split the tax. So my concern with the other token was the way they split the tax. I wasn't, I didn't think it was fair that the bulk goes to the developers. This one has a 10% tax and then 6% of it goes back into liquidity. I think that's very smart. I think it's very brilliant because it means that when demand goes up, we should be helping to replenish the pool on an automated basis. And then only 2% goes to marketing, 2% to the investors, which is more fair than the other one where basically like 14% of it goes to the devs and, you know, the investors only get 1%. So I like the way that their tokenomics and their reflections work. 
And that tells me that they they were serious about making sure that it was fair to their investors rather than just kind of being selfish on themselves. Um, it has been audited, but not by Certic. Uh, it was audited, audited by a firm called Nebula. Um, I've not personally heard of Nebula Solutions. However, I did look at the audit report. I didn't have any concerns with how the audit was written. I do think that the they should still go through a Certic audit just only because it's kind of the current kind of name, right, in audit space to make sure that it's robust. But I'm stressing that the Nebula report, I don't have personally have concerns with what they did. I think they did a very good job of going through and making sure everything was clean. And then the one thing I like about the Nebula report is that it tells you what their, their scope of test is. So constructor mismatch, ownership takeover, redundant fallback, overflows, underflows, reentrancy, money giving bug, black hole, DOS. Um, there's a lot of very specific checkbox things that they tell you they go through. And I like that, that Certic doesn't do and they should do. Um, and then the other intangible things such as, you know, business um, practices, coding standards, expression issues. So this is, you know, how they write the code. Um, cleanup processes, which goes to how good of coders they really are. <laughs> um, error conditions and time of state and security. So I love their checklist. I'm going to do a separate write-up on Nebula or a separate podcast entry on Nebula because I think they're awesome. And then they passed this guy pretty much scot-free. There was only two low findings on this guy. So if you're interested in looking into Inuyasha, definitely take a look at it. Um, it seemed to have, the only things that were called out in the audit report are very minor things. So I think as far as safety, it's worth taking a look at it. Just know that it, you'd have to buy it through Uniswap because it's not available on a central exchange. And then as I looked at some of these findings that they had, yeah, some of these are really small things. They're, they're, not, they're not things that would... They're not things that would cause an obvious rug pull risk or honeypot risk. You could still have the rogue developer situation. Um, but I don't see anything here that, that, would, that would cause me to recommend against, like I did with the other token, buying into them if you were interested in it. So look at Inuyasha. I'm going to at them so you have their at address on theirs. Um, and again, it's a, you know, it's a decent deal. It's a decent deal. I just, I'm not into the anime tokens. That's, that's the only issue I've got with there. Um, and then if they're listening, probably the only thing I would tell them to rethink would be their white paper. Um, they did a partial job, like they call out some names, they call out the tokenomics, they call out um, things that are planned, they got utilities in plan, um, what's in the way right now and what they're working on and everything's, as far as data, is fine. What I'm saying though is that your white paper should be a downloadable something. It should not be this embedded, you know, on the page, web page thing, because here's why. When you build it like this, first of all, it doesn't scroll like you'd want it to, but when you build it like this, you could theoretically change it at any time and nobody would be able to track changes to see that you edited something or removed something. So you always want it to be a PDF that somebody can download and store a copy of. That way, if there's a problem, we can reference it against what was there when we initially downloaded to see if there was some surreptitious changes. This is not to accuse them of anything. I'm just saying in a perfect world, this is what you would do. So that's Inuyasha. I'm not going to go too much deeper into it. You can take a look through it. Um, it's very new. Like I said, just, just late October. So it's very new. So if you want to buy in, now would be the time to consider buying in. The tokenomics 
I think are solid and passing the audit that they did. I think the results were pretty clean. I don't have concerns on at least take recommending that you take a look at it possibly for your portfolio. That's all I got for you right now. I'm saving the rest for the latter update. That's why I wanted to do two updates so I could cover idiots like this guy earlier. So take a look at what I got there. Also, the other points that I'll cover and I'm holding off on the rise in the uh, various tokens because we're kind of coming back. We're kind of recovering from the tailwind like I said we would. I'm going to cover that in the afternoon because I want to make sure it's not temporary. That's why I didn't purposely speak about it in this episode. Take care.